This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Can I just praise God for the ministry of the worship team, both front of house and back of house. It's not just what you see here, it's just amazing. Thank you. So the keyboard player, Michelle, we're husband and wife. So that's Michelle, I'm Steve, so this is an M&S service. That's terrible, dumb. That's my only joke, I've got no more to do. Okay, so, so to all in the hall, and to those on the phone, laptop, PC, whatever you're on, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever it is, welcome to Hope. My name's Steve, and I'll be your captain on today's flight. Today's flight is call sign, a slow walk through the book of Luke, Episode 9-0, that's 90. We have been wandering through the book of Luke for 90 episodes. Isn't that incredible? And it's called Grace, Fruit, and the Love of a Gardener. All passengers are boarded, the seatbelt signs have been turned on, and the cabin crew have completed their cross-checks. There may be turbulence on today's flight, so please fasten your seatbelts. Ensure your seats are in the upright position and your tables are stowed. We'll shortly taxi out to Luke 13, verses 6 to 9, ready for a short flight today. We will then be cruising at an altitude of discovery before landing at a destination of time to reflect and apply. So, I hope today's message is received by open hearts and the Lord reveals a little bit more of himself to us all today. Let us pray. Lord, may our hearts and our ears be open to what you want us all to hear today, and let my words be your words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was invited to deliver this message, people keep inviting me for some bizarre reason, I thought, fantastic, a parable, simples. Well, how wrong could I have been again? This has been yet another journey of discovery. God has graciously trusted me and provided me with today's message, which will hopefully be a catalyst for reflection for us all. When we land from today's flight, it will not be the end of the journey. For some, it will be the beginning, and some, it will be moving to the next stage. We're not going to be launching into a massive theological debate, though we could, but we won't. We may like to, we just don't have the time. Okay, so a bit of duty-free for you to take away. Okay, so I've got clearance from air traffic. Yep, absolutely. So your seatbelt's fastened. Here we go. Today, we'll be looking at the parable of the barren fig tree, Luke 13, 6 to 9. Now, I don't know about you, I've actually never heard anything preached on this before, but that might be just me. So, let's dig into the scriptures, shall we? And he's... And He, Jesus, told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, 
And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Some context first. What is a parable? A parable is a short, some would say simple story. I'm not sure I would agree with that. (laughs) Used to illustrate moral or spiritual lessons. Parables are not literal. Okay? They often use similes or metaphors. And in this case, vineyard, fig tree, fruit, man, vine dresser, manure, and periods of time. Jesus often used them as a teaching tool. And they are found in the Gospels, in the New Testament, and in a few places in the Old Testament, such as uh, the parable of the Ulam in 2 Samuel 12. So this isn't a new idea. In Luke 8, verse 10, Jesus explains the purpose of parables to his disciples. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. In other words, he was saying the good news for the disciples was that through Christ's teaching and God's grace, they were able to understand the mysteries of God's kingdom. This was not the same for the people in the crowds they had been encountering on their travels, be they Jew or Gentile. Jesus recognized that he had to adapt his preaching and teaching style to open their eyes. So he had a cunning plan. Yeah, not so balancing, okay. And that plan was to use parables. Stories that the crowds could hopefully relate to and go, get it. Maybe that's true for us today. So where was Jesus? It's not clear exactly where he was geographically, but Jesus and his disciples were still on the journey to Jerusalem. A journey that started way back in Luke 9, verse 51, and climaxes, spoiler alert, in Luke 19, verse 41, with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This was a long and relentless journey through which Jesus tirelessly teaches and preaches the way to salvation, to growing crowds of people wherever he found himself. Now, it's important to understand what Jesus has been teaching immediately before this parable. At the end of Luke 12, verses 57 to 59, Jesus reminds his disciples and us through the settle with your accuser parable, yet another parable, to always be ready to live with a sense of urgency about his return. Two weeks ago, Mark unpicked this. Well worth revisiting that online. In the first part of Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, and then in verses 6 to 9 today, Jesus calls on people to repent. Last week, Lydia led us through a study into verses 1 to 5. Two stories Jesus told the crowd that reminded them and us that we are called to turn from our old lives, repent and face Jesus, or we will perish. Happy, happy, happy. Again, well worth revisiting a message, but I'm sorry, folks. Guess what today's all about? Repent or perish. Jesus is 
totally consistent and very, very, very persistent when he wants us to hear something. So let's look at the parable of the uh, barren fig tree. And with the parable on the screen, we will be stepping through it line by line to try to reason through what Jesus was saying to the crowds at the time and what he's saying to us today. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Who is the man, the vineyard owner? God. Okay? It's as simple as that. We don't need to go any deeper into that. Our loving Father. Who or what is the fig tree? Throughout the Bible... Trees are used often to represent people, and in this case, it was the nation of Israel. There are always two types of trees, fruitful and the other kind that just take up valuable space and time and produce nothing. So we are the fig tree, and we have a choice to either bear fruit or not. We must really understand the consequence of not bearing fruit. More on this in a little while. Planted in his, and that's in his vineyard. This is an important point. God owns the vineyard and everything in it. The fig tree, God's people, us, are planted, rooted in the vineyard. We are his. We belong to God. What is the vineyard, I hear you screaming out? Possibly not. A vineyard... Bit late, timing next time. Timing, timing, timing. I know we rehearsed it. Timing, anyway. So what is the vineyard? A vineyard was a common metaphor for God's creation. The world he created, loves and owns. Let us not forget that Hope Church, all of us sat here. We're just one small part of God's church. He owns it by definition. We are in his vineyard. We are in his vineyard wherever we find ourselves working and wherever we find ourselves through the day. Okay. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. He came seeking. God is attentive, loving and rightfully expectant. God cares for his people so much that he keeps a loving and watchful eye on us. We were and we are never alone. He was and is always there. This is mind-blowing for me because he's interested in little old me. He's interested in everyone. He is attentive and he loves us. He is our loving father. So fruit. And he came seeking fruit. What is the fruit? No points for fig. And this is a fig. Okay, if no one knows, you'll be wondering why I've got this. Saturday I went shopping in Aldi. What's the first fruit I find? On special offer. That's really, really weird. I had a moment there. I'm preaching on the parable of a barren fig tree and someone throws some figs at me. If anyone wants them, they can have them because I really don't like them. There you go. Right, they're all yours. Right, so it's not a fig. Okay, the fruit, fig tree, it is not a fig. The Old Testament, fruit was often used as a metaphor for godly living, which was focused upon glorifying God. Psalm 1 verse 3, 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Fruitfulness, godly living, was expected from the people of Israel and is expected of us today. John 15, verse 8. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So what is the fruit? Not a fig. May I offer that this is the fruit of the Spirit, as found in Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In my mind, these fruits describe the very being, the very essence of Jesus' character, his personality. The development of the fruits of the Spirit is a lifelong endeavor of a life surrendered to God. As we spend more time with Jesus, we become transformed and more like him. Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 20, and you'll be pleased I'm not going to cover all of them. If we focus on verses 1 and 2, God, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And verses 8 and 9. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. God expects Christians to become Christ-like, displaying the fruits. So the simple message here, harder to do, is that we are to become more like Christ. But don't worry, we're not expected to do this on our own. We don't do it out of doing things. We are going to be helped. We're not doing it in our own strength. More on that in a moment. But this is what God wants and is pleasing to him. Why does he want this? May I suggest so that we, become, that we can become fishers of men and carry out the great commission bestowed upon us. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Just like Christ's example, we are called to spread the gospel message and guide, that's the important piece here, guide people home by example. There's no clearer example in my mind of being a Christian than to ooze the fruits of the Spirit in our daily lives. We will be noticed and we will be different. But this is okay because we'll have the Holy Spirit and Jesus and all we have to do is trust in God. All we have to do. <laughs> when we genuinely repent and begin living for God, fruit will be born in our lives 
that will soon be evident to everyone that we meet. Likewise, a failure to repent and live for God will show a lack of fruit equally evident to everyone. May I offer that our late departed Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, was a shining example to us all. And the Queen once said, throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. She said that to millions of people. And she had no fear of doing that. I think that's quite a message. Okay, back to the parable. And we got to the bit where they found none, fruit. So what's the significance of finding none? God saw no evidence of godly living, fruitfulness or repentance. He rightfully expected the fruit because it was his fig tree. We are his. Without true repentance, there's no fruit. Matthew 3, verse 8, John the Baptist said, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And he said to the vine dresser, is the next part of the parable, who is the vine dresser? Or may I make that a simpler statement, the gardener. Who's the gardener? It is Jesus. It's good. There's two simple ones, isn't he? You know, who owns it? God. And then the vine dresser, Jesus. Got that? So, Jesus, it is. In this parable, Jesus was referring to himself as the gardener, our saviour, redeemer, and intercessor. He was saying to the crowds, and he's saying to us today, that through me you can be saved. To the crowds and to us today, he was saying, is saying, I am here, see me. Just like in Luke 12, verse 54 to 56, we heard that about three weeks ago, where Jesus was saying, you can read the weather, but you can't see the signs of the times. He's reminding us here, look and see, I'm here in front of you. John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was stood in front of them. He's with us now. More on this in a short while. Right, back to the parable. Look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Three years. Right, we could get into massive theological debates now. I'm simple, Steve. I'm northern if no one's figured that out. Okay, so I'm going to offer some options here, and I'll give you my opinion, and it is just my opinion. So for three years, God came again and again to visit the tree looking for fruit. Firstly, this reconfirms God's interest in his people. He is a loving and attentive God, our loving Father, for three years. Again, remember, parables are not necessarily literal, but they could be. Mind-blowing. Okay. So... What is the three years all about? Unsurprisingly, there are many different interpretations and commentaries about what the, the, um, the three years signify. The most prevalent ones I could find were, there are those that believe it relates to the three years Jesus spent teaching before he was crucified. There are those who believe that this is a reference to John the Baptist and his time teaching. There's a third option which that each year represents a season in which God has reached out to man and where 
God presents the truth about himself and has asked man to repent. God tried to reach man through selected patriarchs, so Abraham, Noah, and Enoch, for example, but without success, season one, year one. Then God came again through the law, season two, Moses, yet man still did not repent. So in season three, God tried yet again through the warnings of the prophets, but still no repentance. Anyway, whichever it is, it may be all of them, it may be just one of them. I don't think it matters because each of these, when you look into them, is based upon three years, seasons, periods, three somethings in which God has tried to reach out to man. I believe that Jesus was saying to the crowd in us today, listen guys, God loves you and he wants us to repent, but you have ignored him for far too long now and have not responded. There are consequences. A simple parable. Uh, okay, righty, okay. So Jesus' teaching is always multi-layered. And he has a knack of knowing how to communicate every level as he understands we are all different. For me, the third interpretation seems to strike a chord. Well, that's just me. There's so much more we could study here, but we just don't have the time to unpack it. So dare I suggest your second bout of duty-free? Okay, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? So God, the vineyard owner, wants the fig tree, the people of Israel, to be cut down because the tree, it, they, had had more than enough time to bear fruit, repent, but hadn't. And that was the three years. And they were now taking up valuable space there's a whole lot of theology we can dig into that as well, which we haven't got time to dig into. Well, that's quite logical. If something's not delivering, what do we do? We want to change it. But God's God. He doesn't think like we do. Okay? God had seen no repentance or godly living from his people. Though he had tried to engage, God had led the horse to water. Many times but could not make it drink. Enough was enough. Matthew 3, verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. However, and he answered, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Let it alone. Just when God was going to pass his wrath on man, the unyielding fig tree, us, Jesus, our loving gardener, steps in. The good news. Jesus had an idea. Our salvation. One more year. John 3.16, and I'm sure you're already saying in your head now, for God's soul of the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. One more year. If we accept the idea of three seasons in which God has reached out to man, where God presents the truth about himself 
and asked man to repent, but man did not respond. And that through Jesus, God is offering his people, us, a fourth and final season, one more year, the season of grace to accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, repent and bear fruit, then I don't think we're too far off the mark. This is the season we dwell in now, the season of grace. Jesus stepped in to save us from our sin and ultimately death. The axe is at our roots. Jesus out of love is the way, bringing the gap between man and our sinful nature and our Lord, Almighty, our Lord God Almighty, bridging that gap between us and God. Dig around and put manure on it. I haven't got a bag of manure. You'll be happy with that. I've got figs, but no manure. Jesus is saying that as our loving gardener, he will not leave the trees, our salvation to chance. It's not by our works. He will loosen the soil to ensure that water finds its way to the roots. And he will feed and fertilize the tree with manure. Give it all the nutrients it needs to grow. That's the supply of grace right there. It's not our works. It's by the grace of God, by the grace of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus loves us to the point of giving us all we need to produce good fruit. In addition to the previous three seasons worth of attention, in addition to all that patience from God, we have been given the fourth season. And we will be fed and watered and encouraged to support fruit by Jesus. This nourishment comes in a number of ways. The Word, the Holy Spirit, fellowship, the church, prayer and a personal relationship with Jesus. For us this means Jesus is our intercessor, our only way back to God who lovingly feeds and nourishes us. He is working on our stubborn human condition so that the living water is available at our roots for us to drink. John 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And John 15, verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. These are two of the seven I am statements by Jesus. He is the essential food for salvation and eternal life. Today, we have now seen three statements when we remember John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am statements, another piece of duty-free, far too much to dig into here, but they are incredible when you read them. Who is Jesus to us? I am. Through Jesus, we can repent and give our lives back to God. And through his careful nurture, we can grow and bear fruit and become more Christ-like. The fruit we bear will be witness and bring others back to God through Jesus to our Lord and Saviour. John seven thirty-seven to 38. On the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, 
as scriptures said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Okay, back to the parable. Then if it should not bear then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Should bear fruit next uh, should bear fruit next year? Well and good. I hopefully this is self-explanatory. Repentance equals salvation equals fruit. We are saved through the grace period. But if not, you can cut it down. Jesus was telling the crowds and us today that if after the final season, season four, the season of grace, that through me, Jesus, the loving gardener, whose purpose is to save rather than condemn, and the grace of God, his people still do not repent and do not produce fruit and live God-centered lives, then that's it. No extra seasons, no extra chances. We will be cut down. We will perish and forfeit the promise of eternal life we have in Jesus Christ. John 15, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. However, if we choose to repent and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we are promised eternal life. No apology for using John 3.16 twice today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right, you're going to be pleased to hear we're on our final approach to our destiny of time to reflect and apply. So bringing this together, this parable illustrates superbly that God, Jesus, us, grace, love, salvation message. Now, I don't know whether you got the, the slide there, Mark. I think that's the parable in a picture. And Jesus is the divide, is the gap, is our gardener. Using this parable, Jesus says that we have a loving, patient, graceful, and merciful Father that expects us to repent and bear fruit, to live godly lives in his vineyard, the world, wherever we find ourselves. He has given us three seasons worth of attention, many interpretations of that, and tried to get us to listen and repent, but our human condition has resulted in us not listening. So we have been given one more final season, a season of grace, to turn away from our sin and bear fruit. God has sent Jesus our gracious and loving gardener, to redeem us, the I am. This is the fourth and final season. So if we don't get a grip before the end of the grace season, we will be cut down and perish. The good news, there is good news, that through Jesus we are saved and we will not perish. The gardener has stepped in for our sins And as our Lord and Saviour, he will support, feed and water us along the journey so that we bear fruit, guide people back to God and live the best life God, our Father, has planned for us. So what's the challenge for today? As a non-Christian, you have a choice today.
to either carry on living as you are or surrender your life through God, through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And begin living the best life God has planned for you. Choose life. As a Christian, are we surrendered to God in all areas of our lives? Are we spending time with God and allowing our lives to be transformed by Him, bearing fruit, reflecting His love and grace into the world? Two more bits of duty-free for you.